Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influences Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influences.church. And now for our message. Today, we're going to deep dive into one of them. One of them that might be a little bit more challenging, but I'm sure that all of us can relate to. And if you're taking notes, the subtitle of my message today is God, this isn't what I ordered. God, this isn't what I ordered. Um, on the odd occasion, uh, me and my family, um, it's actually become a bit of a tradition, even on uh, public holidays, we will, we, will, we will go to McDonald's. And um, uh, just something fun we do with the kids. And uh, we go to McDonald's. And now it's interesting when we go to McDonald's because we all have a different thing that we like to eat, um, especially my daughter because she's vegetarian. And so often we'd go to McDonald's and we'd go through the drive through and you know, you go up to the speaker, you give your order, you tell them what you want. When, um, on, sometimes my daughter has said, I would like a cheeseburger, only cheese. And so we put the order through and the attendant, he or she will repeat it back to us. And, and we think, yep, they've got our whole order. We're all good. And so we go up to the last window. We pay $105 for three meals because that's how expensive it is. Um, but uh, we get our order, get the big brown paper bag. We take, drive off and everything's awesome. And... Uh, Oster's normally hands out the, the burgers as we're driving away. And, and this has happened a number of times. My daughter will be in the back seat and all of a sudden you hear her unwrapping it. She's like, oh, this isn't what I ordered. And she gets a hamburger only meat instead of only cheese, right? And uh, I don't know, has that ever happened to you before? You ever ordered something and not got exactly what you ordered? You know, maybe you ordered a, a cappuccino and someone gave you a latte or Maybe you ordered something online. Maybe you ordered a pair of shoes. You said, oh, I need a size nine and they sent you a size 10, you know. It's annoying, it's frustrating, but it's not the end of the world because you know you can either just return it or you can just go back to the counter and you can just say, hey, look, sorry, this isn't what I ordered. Could you just fix this up for me? But when that thing you get that's different is an answer to a prayer, when you've been praying for something and what you get isn't what you expected or is very different to what you asked for, well, that's a little tougher. Because you know you can't just go up to the counter at heaven and say, oh, look, I'm sorry, but this, this isn't what I ordered. You can't just go up the counter and say, um, excuse me, excuse me, but, I, but I, I've been praying for quite a few years now for God to restore my marriage. But um, for some reason now we're further apart from each other than we were before. I'm not sure, maybe you couldn't hear me behind the mask, but I, I, that isn't what I ordered. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to bother you, but, but I have been praying for about five years now to God and I have been asking him to open a door for a promotion at my work. And, and for some reason this week, Jerry up the hall just got that promotion. And my name's Terry. And I'm not sure whether something's got mixed up in the process there, but that isn't what I ordered. <laughs> you're Jerry, you're in, anyway. But you can't just go up to the counter and say, I've been praying. I've been praying for my child for many years to be set free from the addiction of drugs. And nothing's moved, nothing's changed. 
This isn't what I ordered, God. Like, I don't know about you, but I've prayed a lot of prayers. And the answer I've gotten back is different to what I asked for. But sometimes it doesn't even come at all. Or sometimes it takes a lot longer than I expected. And when that happens, there's a lot of questions that we begin to ask. We begin to question, we're like, God, I don't understand. I thought you said you love me. If you love me, why aren't you doing this for me? I thought you said you were a God of the impossible. Well, do the impossible. But did I do something to upset you, God? Is that why you're not helping me? Did I not take communion enough? Did I not memorise enough verses? I, I don't understand. I mean, you did it for that person. I heard them share their testimony last week. They're in a very similar position to me. You did it for them. How come you're not doing it for me? We can find ourselves asking all these questions when you've been praying for a miracle, but the situation isn't changing. and You're not getting what you asked for. You know, maybe some of that comes because when we look at a lot of the miracles in the Bible that Jesus performed, there's an awful lot of them that seem to happen suddenly. People would have an interaction with Jesus and Jesus would ask them, what can I do for you? And they'd tell him and immediately he'd just do it then and there. You take the Gospel of Mark, for example, there's a word in there in the, in the Koine Greek, the common Greek, it's the word euthaios. And it means by definition, suddenly, immediately, straight away. And it's in his gospel alone 41 times. And so you read that and you think, that must be the way that God answers prayer. That, that he, if I ask for something, then the way he answers is suddenly and immediately. And it's true, God can do that. Absolutely he can do that. But if that's the only way we think that God answers prayers, there'll probably be a lot of, God, this isn't what I ordered moments. Because although He can certainly do things suddenly and immediately, I've also experienced Him do things very slowly and eventually. And so the question I felt God put on my heart to answer today is how do you continue to stay in a place of faith when it feels like God isn't responding to your request for a miracle? How do you stay in a place of faith? How do you continue to trust God? Keep believing in Him when you've been praying for something and you're not seeing God respond. Well, probably the best way that we can answer that, is for me and Oster to share our story with you. And so you're in for a treat today because my wonderful wife, Oster, is going to come and join me this morning. <laughs> and uh, some of you may know, and some of you may not, but uh, over the last three or four years or so now, uh, Oster you know, had a really big health challenge that she was facing and um, that was happening in our life. And I just wanted her to share a little bit about that. And then I wanna share with you this morning 
seven decisions that we made while we were journeying through that that helped us keep our faith in God. And I pray that it might help you too. Amen. So, uh, Osta, what do you share? Thank you. Um, I feel a bit vulnerable standing up here and sharing my journey because I'm not 100% yet. I haven't seen complete healing. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's a bit hard to share the things that are not so great <laughs> in your life. Um, but it started for me at the start of 2018, nearly four years ago. I, you know, I've, for years I had been working nearly full time, I've been studying. I was raising young children, you know, running a household, supporting Tony and volunteering at church. My life was full, you know, I was exercising, I was fitting all these things into my life. And it was good, I thought. But then suddenly I started getting neck pains. I started hurting in my neck and I didn't know what it was. I felt like, have I strained it, kinked it, what is it? And it just started getting worse and worse to the point where I couldn't actually get out of bed anymore. I, I couldn't get up. It was just too much painful. I was fine lying down, but when I got up, I was like, oh, no, this hurts too much. So I went to the GP. They couldn't really work out what it was. Um, and then eventually I was at home and I was in so much pain that Tony called an ambulance and I went to a local hospital. And they couldn't, they took scans, they couldn't work out what was wrong with me either. And so they sent me home, um, just gave me some pain relief and just said rest. But it got so painful that I started vomiting. And so we called another ambulance. I went back to the hospital again. They kept me a little bit longer, but still couldn't work out what was wrong with me. I mean, I had generally all my life just been fit and healthy, don't rarely get sick. Um, and I just, I'd never been to the hospital before other than having my children and these two times that I went. So they sent me home again, said, just rest for two weeks. If you're not better, then go back to your GP. And so I did that. I went at home and I was not getting any better. I, all I could do was lie in bed. Tony was feeding me breakfast, lunch and dinner. And, you know, I just went to the toilet and then back again. I, I got a neck brace just to help me get up to go to the toilet for 30 seconds, just to help with the pain. And, you know, if... Tony would have to help me bath me because I couldn't stand up in a shower if I wanted to get clean. It was quite tough. And lying in bed, you're thinking, what is this, God? You know, why, why is this happening? And I don't understand. And is this it? You know, is this my life now? The doctors can't figure out what's going on. Am I now just meant to lie here in bed and not do anything? Um, so all I could do was turn to God. I just God, help me here. What, what do I do? And I just felt God speak to me and say, you know, just be still and know that I am God. I mean, a little bit ironic. I couldn't really move. So being still wasn't hard. Um, but I just knew you are God. You know everything. And I know you love me. I know you care for me. I don't understand what's going on, but I know you're God. So um, after those two weeks in hospital, I went back to the GP um, and just said, I'm no better. And they said, you need to go to the Royal Adelaide Hospital. You need to go right now. And so I went to the Royal Adelaide Hospital, to the emergency department. And luckily for me, or blessed, is that someone six months before, same similar age to me, um, a male, had come in with the same symptoms as I had. 
And so they kind of picked up straight away what was wrong with me. And they said I had a spinal fluid leak. And what that is, that sometimes occurs when you're having an epidural while women are giving birth, but this was spontaneous. We don't know what happened. I had no accident. I can't remember hurting myself. So, um, but they said that I had a hole in my spine. So what happens is that your brain and your spinal cord is covered with fluid, which is called spinal fluid, and it's held in by a sac, or it's got this matter called the dura. And I had a hole in the the middle of my back. And so every time I stood up, it would drain from my head, you know, out into my body. And so my brain would actually sag on the nerves of my neck, shooting up pain. And so that's what happened every time I was standing up. The fluid would drain and I would get excruciating pain in my head. So the way they generally fix this problem is they'll give you an epidural blood patch, which is they will draw your blood, then they will put a needle into your back and then squirt it in and hope that it will clog up the hole. And that actually worked for me. So for 15 months, I was fine. I was back doing what I believed God had called me to do. I had, you know, I was just about to change a career. And so, you know, I was, feel I was moving into the things that God had called for me. But then after 15 months, and I shared my testimony at Sisterhood, you know, I thought that was it. But after 15 months, I then started getting neck pain again. And I just knew, having had it before happen to me, it wasn't as bad as the first time, but I knew I, I'm leaking again. It's, it's come back again. And so for the next two years, I was in and out of hospitals, I had another six um, blood patches and they were unsuccessful. It didn't work. So at the start of last year, I, I got so bad that I just, I was so tired in my body, I was worn out because for those years I had been trying to work. I was very blessed that we had lockdowns because I could work from home. And so I could lie down and then get up and work and then lie down. Uh, but I, I was exhausted in my body and having gone through all these procedures and just trying to carry on with life. I know I've come to church and I probably looked fine on the outside, but I was exhausted on the inside. It's like you're carrying an extra 50 kilos every time you go around. And also, because it interferes with your brain, it's neurological. So you kind of, it's, it's hard. I would mess up my words. I would say silly things at home, substitute one word for a totally different one. It didn't make sense, but the kids, you know, worked it out and thought it was funny. But, you know, it, it, was, it was tough. Um, so last year, yeah, I was bedridden. I had to stop working. And we got to the place where I, I had to have major surgery on my spine to try to fix it. And so in June last year, I had that surgery. And, you know, it's worked. It's good. I was blessed. Things could have gone so wrong. You know, with major surgery, I, I had to get comfortable with the fact that I could die. I didn't think I was going to die, but I, I went to God and I just said, well, it is well with my soul. I, I'm good. I've had a good life. You know, I've got great children. I've got a good husband. My life has been good. And so I kind of got to that place that, okay, I, I can't lie in bed. I have to take the risk of having surgery. But Throughout it all, you know, I could have got really depressed. I could have become addicted to drugs. 
because of the pain relief, but I didn't. And I just had God's peace. And I had joy in my life, even though I'm lying there and tired. I mean, some days I didn't have enough energy to do anything but go to the toilet and then collapse back in bed. But I would be intentional by what I did and what I could do, which was like, if I had had some conversations with my kids and with Tony, giving them some hugs and kisses, then I was like, that's it. I've done enough for today. But what it also um, showed me is like I, I had to go deep. I had to draw on God and I got revelations that I don't know I would have had if I hadn't gone through this. It's, it just took me deeper and gave me, even though I wouldn't wish to have had this happen to me, I still think it was, well, choose to believe that it was a reset that now, in a way, I'm set up better for my future than I was if I hadn't gone through it because I have realigned myself. What do I value? What, what is important to me? Um, and I, I'm grateful in a way. I mean, I have God. That's, that's the point. I have God and I had supernatural peace and joy. So. Awesome. So good. Who thinks she should preach uh, one day? I think so. She's better than me. So it was a tough, uh, you know, it's just that's just a small snippet of, of what it was. But it was a very tough couple of years. And as Osta said, you know, we're believing for her to be completely healed and, and whole. Um, she's 100 times better than she was, I can tell you. Um, but through that, through those last three or four years, we had to make some, some decisions. And I want to share with you seven decisions that we made that helped us continue to stay in a place of faith. When there were many times we felt that we didn't know if God was moving or responding. Because from the moment we found out, you know, from the moment her neck started hurting, we were praying. We were asking God, when we found out what it was, we were praying every time she had a procedure. We were praying, this is it, this is it, this is it. And, for, and it just kept going and going. And when it's like that, you gotta, you got to do some things to help you to stay in a place of faith so you don't fall apart. So the seven that we did, and I hope that these help you if you ever find yourself or may find yourself today in a place where you're believing for something too and it hasn't quite come yet. So the first decision we made was this. We made a decision to protect the language of faith in our home. To protect the language of faith in our home. James 3, verse 4 to 5. It says, Or take ships as an example, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. You know, as Oster touched over the last few years, there were many times where we were hoping that her breakthrough was just around the corner only for it to end up being another disappointment. And when that happens, when you face disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, it, it gets frustrating and you get angry and you get upset and sometimes you express that with words. You just can't help it. It just comes out. And I, and I wanna say this, if you've done that, God's okay with that. God's okay. He understands. He understands why we're upset and why we're frustrated and when things don't change or go our way. He, 
He's, he's okay with that, but he just doesn't want that to be the place where we reside. You see, I believe God's okay with us at times expressing our disappointment or our anger or our frustration about a situation. But what he doesn't want is for that to determine what we start confessing over our situation. And as Oster and I were going through this, we found that there were a lot of things that were out of our control, a lot of stuff we couldn't control, but one thing we could control is what we confessed out of our mouth. And so we made a decision that if we were going to confess anything, we were going to confess words full of faith that testified to the goodness and faithfulness of God. We didn't always get it right, but we kept coming back to that place, kept resetting and saying, come on, let's keep speaking faith. Let's keep speaking God's goodness over our life. That's the first decision we made, was to protect the language of faith in our home. The second decision we made was to walk by faith and not by sight. To walk by faith and not by sight. Romans 10, 17, it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You know, as we were in and out of hospitals, doctor's appointments, specialist appointments, I reckon Oster was probably in and out of hospital over 20 times. It was like, there wasn't a lot presented before our physical eyes that, were in, that was inspiring our faith. You know, all we could see with our physical eyes in front of us was Oster in bed for months on end, Oster unable to work, our income being halved, my kids you know, being upset because we just couldn't do normal family things. My, my parents having to run around like crazy to help us out, to just keep things moving. And f- all we could see is failed operation after failed operation. Like Oster said, she had seven blood patches. I think the most they'd ever done on someone before was like three. It was just like, it was like all this stuff kept screaming back at us. It is hopeless. But something I learned a long time ago is that faith doesn't come by what you see. But faith comes by what you hear. And so we decided that we were going to have to put our faith not in what our physical eyes could see, but what our spiritual ears could hear. Amen. And this made a big difference. Right? You see, your, your, your eyes, they will see the result of what God has done. Your physical eyes will see what God has done, but your spiritual ears will hear what He is up to. They'll hear what he's up to before you see it done. And so we had to get to a place where what is the Spirit saying? I know we can't see it, but what is God saying? And as I was to share with you, God had said to her, she came to me and said, God said to me, be still and know that I am God. And when we heard that, it made a huge difference because it meant I can't see him moving, but I know that he is. I know he's with us. I know he hasn't forgiven, forsaken us. He's still in control. And so every time we saw something physical that wasn't before us, that wasn't positive, we'd go back to what we heard with our spiritual ears. Be still and know that I am God. And it would just fill us with hope. And so the second decision we made was to walk by faith and not by sight. The third decision we made was to take the facts but believe the truth. To take the facts, but believe the truth. Psalm 25 verse four, it says, show me the right path, O Lord. 
Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. Lead me by your truth. Every time we sat in the hospital and we were told the operation hadn't worked, that they weren't quite sure what to do next, that they didn't have a solution beyond what they'd already tried, we understood that they were giving us the facts. But at the same time, we also recognised that the facts are different to the truth. And so we made a decision to do our best to let our faith be led by the truth rather than the facts. For our faith to be led by the truth of God's Word. Jesus did a teaching in Matthew's, Matthew chapter five through to seven. At the end of that teaching, he shares about the importance of our faith being led by the Word of God. And he says how choosing to have your faith led by the Word of God is like building a house on a rock so that when the storms of life come, that house continues to stand. But he said, choosing to not let your faith be led by the Word of God is like building a house on sand and when the storms of life come, that house comes crashing down. And so what Jesus is saying is that when you choose to be led by the truth of God's Word over anything else, then it doesn't matter what storms come against you because when you're in the Word of God, you're reminding yourself that yes, this storm is big, but my God is bigger. Yes, it might be difficult, but my God is still in control. And if He's for us, then who could ever be against us? We can have victory through Him. And so can I encourage you, one of the best things you can do if you're up against it, if you're praying for a miracle and it doesn't seem like anything's happening, like nothing is changing, is to make a decision that you will hold on to the truth of God's Word. John 8 verse 32, it says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When you know the truth about what God says, it sets you free from worry. It sets you free from fear. It sets you free from uncertainty of tomorrow because you know your God is great and mighty and amazing. And so we made a decision to take the facts, but believe the truth. The fourth decision that we made was to not let the enemy take more, any more territory than he was already trying to. To not let the enemy take any more territory than he was already trying to. One of the things we had to remember the whole time that whenever we got bad news and whenever was attacking us, whatever pain we were feeling, whatever was happening to Oster in that time, we had to remember that God wasn't doing it to us. That God wasn't punishing us. God wasn't, you know, didn't create this to hurt us. It wasn't from Him. If we had slipped into the trap of starting to blame God, say, God, why are you doing this? Why are you hurting us like this? Don't you love us? Why are you doing this? If we'd done that, that's exactly what the enemy would have wanted. You see, he attacked Oster's health, not to attack her health, but to really disrupt our relationship with God. That's his ultimate goal. He wants to disrupt your relationship. He wants to, to create a root of bitterness in you 
that blames God so that you will step away from God. And if you do that, you give Him more territory than He's already trying to get. And I'm like, I refuse to give you more territory than you're already trying to take in my life, amen? Because it's not from God. Because here's what I know about God. He loves you greater than you could ever know. You think about those that you love in your life, you would never do anything to deliberately hurt them because your love would stop you from doing that. And if we do that in our flawed, imperfect love, imagine God in His flawless, perfect love. He doesn't wanna hurt us. He's done everything to help us, to save us. Ephesians 3, 18 to 19, the writer of Ephesians, he says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. There's not a mind that has existed that can fully comprehend how amazing God's love is for us. It's awesome. He's not out to hurt you or harm you. He loves you. Psalm 100, Psalm 100 verse 5. It says, for the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You know, it was so important that we didn't allow the enemy to deceive us into blaming God for our pain. And it's so important that you do the same. And here's the thing, it was actually, the whole time it was only because we understood that God loved us that we didn't fall apart. That His love was always there for us. Encourage you to keep reminding yourself every day of God's love for you. Don't let the enemy take any more territory than he's already trying to. The fifth decision that we made was to lean into the community of believers. Lean into you, our community of believers. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, how long you have been walking with God, how spiritually strong you think you are, there will come a time when your faith will wane and you will need to draw on the strength of others. Even Jesus had moments where He had to draw on the strength of others. Remember when He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and He knew what was about to come upon Him. He knew He was about to be arrested and crucified and take all the sins of the world upon Himself. It says in that famous verse, Luke twenty-two forty-two. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not for my will, but yours be done. And then the very next verse, it says, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Even Jesus needed to draw on others to strengthen him. And if Jesus needed that, you can be sure there'll be times when we do. That's why I'm so thankful God put us in a community of believers. You know, when our faith was waning, we lent into you and many of you without even knowing our situation. There were so many times where you encouraged us, where you'd pray for us. You'd say something that would speak into what we're going through and you didn't even know it. Times where people blessed us with a meal. Times where just your faith, just the way that you worship, just seeing you go through and knowing your story, Seeing you rock up each week and worship God, knowing what you're going through, inspired our faith. Inspired us. You see, I, I understand. I'm an introvert, right? You might not believe I am. 
I'm an introvert. When we go through stuff, my wife's the same. There were times where it was like, it would have been so much easier for us to just completely isolate ourselves. And that's how you feel often when you're going through something difficult. I just need to be alone. I don't wanna be around people. But that will not help the situation. The best thing you can do, as difficult as it might be, lean into the community of believers. Because when your faith wanes, maybe you can glean off somebody else's faith and it can keep it up into a place where it needs to be, amen. I am so thankful for this church. I've I've grown up here my entire life. 42 years I've been in this church. And I am so thankful, not just for this moment, but there have been so many moments all across my life where You have blessed me because of Your faith. And I thank You so much. And You blessed our family in this season. And I pray that we could do the same for You when You need it to. You know, one of the best things you could do and, and is join a connect group. Oh, get into a small group where you can find that love and care and you can meet new people, you can grow in God and you can provide it for other people too. If you're not part of one, chat to one of the leaders, chat to one of the pastors, put your name down at the info desk. We will get you into one, but don't pull away, keep leaning in. The sixth decision that we made was to celebrate what God was doing in other areas of our life. Okay, we're not seeing the evidence of God moving in Oster's health, but I see Him still moving in other areas of our life. I remember there was a time where, I mentioned before where Oster was so unwell that she wasn't able to work. I think there was probably, you know, a few months there. It was on and off, on and off. And then there was a good, you know, three or so months. And, and so our income was halved in that season. You know, it was pretty, it was definitely took a hit. Let's just say that. But in that time, amazingly, people blessed us financially. And they didn't even know our situation. And, and it almost added it up to the dollar, exactly what she would have earned if she was working at the whole time. And I'm like, God, you're amazing. Like you're just reminding us that you're with us and you're in this. I remember Oster, Oster worked, uh, she works for a government department. She's a, um, just started, got the, basically when she got ill, she started that job. So the first couple of years of that job, it was just like, she was trying to do that as well as manage her health. And it was, it was super tough. And be working for a government, they put you on a contract. And uh, they just kept renewing it for year after year. And it was coming up to the end of the contract. And, and at this stage, she was in a re- really unwell. And she had a lot of time off and a lot of disruption to her work. And you know, if you work for a government and a contract, they can just cease that contract whenever. And it was her dream job. And so she got a dream job and then she got sick. She wasn't able to do it to the best of her ability. And so... You know, we were really worried, to be honest. You know, I'd like to say up here, I was like, hey, don't worry, it's gonna be awesome. And we did say that, but there was also some worry in there too. You know, because not only was she gonna potentially lose her health, but also lose her dream job too. And amazingly, obviously we prayed about it, but amazingly, not only did they renew a contract, but they made her permanent, right? It was like, it was crazy. 
And, and there's a whole list of things that God was doing around the situation. Okay, He hadn't healed her of her health yet. We prayed prayers and then we were still hitting disappointments there, but God was doing this, 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 these other prayers. I'm like, if you're answering their prayers, those prayers, I, I believe you've heard that prayer. And it was such an amazing reminder to us that God was still with us, that He's still in control. And I started writing it down. And I encourage you to do the same. If you find yourself in a similar position where you're not getting breakthrough in that area, start focusing on what God is doing in other areas and start writing them down. And if you feel that your faith is taking a hit, I'd pull out that list and I'd read it and I encourage you to do the same. And it would just build some hope in me. God's God's still with us. God's still working in this situation. In Philippians, Paul lists eight things that a believer should constantly fill their thought life with. And the last item on that list of eight is found in Philippians 4.8. He says, If there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Centre your mind on them and implant them in your heart. So we made a decision. We'd focus on celebrating what God was doing around the situation. And it helped so much as we were waiting for God to do something in the other situation. The seventh decision that we made and this was the hardest of all, was to surrender the outcome to the sovereignty of God. To surrender the outcome, whatever it might be, to the sovereignty of God. Isaiah 58, 55, excuse me, verse eight to nine. It says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than than your thoughts. At the end of the day, whatever the outcome was going to be, we had to trust that God knew best. That if He was holding back the answer to that prayer, if He was not answering it when we wanted Him to, then He must have been doing it for a good reason. In 2 Corinthians Uh, Paul shares with us about what he calls a thorn in his flesh. And he doesn't tell us what it is, but he does tell us that it did cause him a lot of pain. And he says that he pleaded with the Lord three times for him to take it away. Take this thorn away. It's causing me so much pain. Take it away from me. And the Lord didn't take it away. Instead, what the Lord did was give him a revelation. And the revelation that God gave Paul is a revelation that not only ministered to him, but has ministered to you and I and millions of people's lives ever since. Revelation he gave him is recorded in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Here's the thing. If God had answered Paul's prayer the way that he wanted him to, maybe Paul never would have got that revelation and maybe neither would you and I. I don't know why. I don't know why in your situation God's not answering your prayer. I don't know why you prayed for something to be one way and it turned out the other. I, I, I don't have that information. 
But what I do know is that God has not forsaken you. What I do know is that God is good and He is working all things out for our good. It's just that, and this is, and this is a very spiritual, mature thing that for us to grow into. It's just that His good doesn't always look like our good. We, we picture what we think that good is. And sometimes it's different because His ways are higher than our ways. And His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But what I can assure you is that it is good. You know, Oster shared with you, like God spoke to her so much through that. And me, it, it deepened our relationship with God as a family. And I, we didn't wanna go through that. Who would? I'm sure you don't wanna go through what you're going through. Who would want to? But at the same time, it wasn't wasted because we come out of it better and deeper and more connected to God than ever before. And for that, I'm thankful. And that is God using it for His good. And if we hadn't gone through it and still be going through it, I wouldn't be able to stand up here and encourage you with what we did. And that is God working it out for His good. His good might look different to ours, but He's always good, amen. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty for my mistakes and my past and His life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did and when you invite Him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what, maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace, and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace, and the Word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey. Why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you, and we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.